the most action-packed content from the top mobile experts. This is the App Masters Podcast with Steve P. Young. Check ASO is an analytical ASO platform that provides you with up-to-date data on keywords, competitors, ratings, and reviews. It also grades your ASO level and gives you custom tips on how to improve it. This way, you can increase your app page visibility, organic traffic, and installs with every update. Try it now for free for seven days at checkaso.io. That once again is checkaso.io. We all have developer horror stories from language barriers to bad code to developing on time. That's why I recommend using B7Dev com. They're affordable, fast, and more importantly, trustworthy. Go to b7dev.com. What is up, App Nation? It is Steve P. Young, founder of appmasters.com, the place you go when you want action-packed content related to helping you grow your app downloads, and more importantly, those dollar-dollar bills, y'all, the revenue. And what we do here is talk to some phenomenal guests in the app space to really pick their brain. For me, I love doing it because I get to pick their the brain of so many great app entrepreneurs and really le learn from them so that we can all collectively grow together. Today, I've got a phenomenal guest. I've seen their ads, big fan of their ads. They've got a an app that will allow you to create really engaging social media posts, ads, anything that you want, but some templates already in there. So I'm super excited to talk to him especially about the monetization side of things. So without further ado, let me introduce the guest. His name is Clay McDaniel. He is the CEO of Ripple. Just search for R-I-P-L Ripple in your favorite app store or check out ripple.com. Okay, Clay, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Steve. Nice to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Clay, are there any specific numbers? So I'm, I'm like I said before we hit record, I was like, hey, let's lead with some social proof. Are there some any social proof numbers that you can share with us publicly? Yeah, sure. So. Ripple, uh, as both an iOS and an Android app, as well as a web-based browser app that you can use on your laptop or desktop, nice. has been in the market for six years now. Um, we've had more than three and a half million small businesses and independent uh, community organizations uh, register and try the software. And um, we've got well north of 50,000 paying subscribers today. So uh, pretty significant scale. Um, we're one of the three or four largest apps that's um, in the market that helps you building videos and social media posts. And uh, posting great engaging content to kind of play with the the big uh, the big brands out there and and stand out with your your CRM and your marketing activities and content on your social media channels if you're a small business. Clay, these past couple of episodes, two previous to yours, we talked a lot about like they had a web platform too, and actually the web brought in better users than the app did. Are you seeing any of that stuff on your end? Well, you know, it's been an evolution for us. We we built the um, iOS app first and we got that out and really went through kind of the first wave of hyper growth of the business um, entirely on the back of the iPhone and iPad app. So um, we got to the first 5 million in revenue and the first, you know, 50,000 roughly subscribers just with that. And so we were a little late in actually building and launching the Android app and then ultimately the web app. But we did that in a pretty deliberate way because what we're trying to do is really kind of learn and feel our way to product market fit and to the right kind of feature set mix and the right match around pricing. We really just use the simplicity of only having that iOS app out in the market for the first roughly three years. 
in order with just such a small engineering team and a small leadership team to kind of experiment and try and run EB tests and really find our way to the, the best kind of product value prop. Then we kind of fast followed and brought the Android app out and we're only about two years in the market with the web app. So um, I consider that like, you know, kind of the, the gangly teenager of our three platforms and <laughs> we've still got a few small differences in UI and feature set differences between the web app and the mobile apps. But um, what I can tell you is that um, while we're seeing it to be um, a little bit harder to get the volume of new customer acquisition on the web app as compared to what we're able to bring in through the app stores on the mobile apps, mm-hmm. we are seeing um, better retention and better performance in terms of LTV from our web app customers. Yeah, you know, it's one of these things where I almost feel like as much as I love the iPhone, obviously, right? Like I, I sometimes I want to be on the web, you know, like sometimes I just prefer to do it on my laptop versus on my phone. Like I just can't do it. And I, that just yeah, probably and, ages me really. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing is that, you know, we have this kind of like threaded life now and small business owners are the perfect example of that. They are on the go. They're thinking about and working on their business 24 seven. And so they are interacting with all of their business software tools, both on their mobile phones, probably on an iPad or tablet, sometimes in the shop or in the store and, you know, their desktop and laptop. And so they're kind of platform agnostic, but they choose, this is what we see. They choose different software platforms and and sort of tools, um, hardware tools to do different tasks. So we realized early on, you know, the mobile device is really good for being able to access your photos, being able to kind of take those first few steps and putting together your video or your social post. But oftentimes, if you want to take that extra five minutes and kind of put the polish, have access to a keyboard, make those like kind of final stage decisions before you're ready to hit publish and share something out through all your social channels, people want to do that, you know, with the full kind of pixels and landscape screen size and benefit of a, of a laptop or a desktop. So um, yeah, I, I think that for us, like we want to be kind of software platform agnostic and really just focus on what our customers are kind of doing and having an empathy and understanding of that. And then, you know, building features and functionality over time that sort of work equally well across all of them. Would you make that recommendation to app developers out there? Like, Hey, you know, figure out product market fit, focus on one platform because you can have a smaller, you can stay lean. You can focus really on, and let's face it, iOS is where usually from a subscription perspective, that's where the revenues are going to be anyways. Would you kind of follow that same advice today? Well, I think it really depends on two things. One is um, who your target customer audience is. And the second is like where you're going to market first. Um, And so, you know, for us, um, it was kind of a judgment call early on. And I credit the founder of the company, Paul Ingalls, with having this insight that, you know, he uh, really rapidly figured out what would kind of make the magic work with an app running on the mobile phone that could kind of seamlessly integrate with the photos and media manager on the phone with certain aspects of the iOS um, actual operating system. Um, And so for him, it was an easy choice because he was like, I'm going to target the portion of small businesses who have this kind of like hyper life who've become um, fundamentally dependent on their mobile phone for a variety of like their business operations and customer communications. And maybe they're texting with customers often. They're definitely checking their social accounts. So I'm going to build first as a mobile app. And and he built a fair amount of the original functionality of Ripple into the client layer of the iOS app in order to kind of leverage the processing power and all the sophistication and speed and capabilities of the Apple iPhone. Well, over time, as we kind of grew and broadened out to both a global and sort of a wider array of different small business target customers, that's where we realized we needed 
you know, the benefit of all these different platforms. So I would kind of recommend, honestly, as a, as a relatively early stage or an immature app developer, that you just work backwards from exactly what your strategy and your target customer audience is, where are you most likely to be able to kind of focus and start with one and get it out. If you're focusing more on like a mid-market or an enterprise solution, if it's going to be a higher price point, if it's going to be really fundamentally dependent on integrations and maybe even have like a third-party REST you know, API strategy, well, then I think you're better off honestly starting with web application and standing that up and you can just iterate and experiment and A-B test and try things so quickly. And with a web app, it's so much more facile to then do things like localization and do you know, currency and market specific pricing, if you want to start testing some um, other markets or some non-English language markets. Um, for us, the best choice was to come out with the mobile app and then we learned and learned and learned. And then, you know, four or five years into the thing, then we built and launched the web application and that's just been, you know, a rocket ship, so. You know, I'm always fascinated and you got, you mentioned small business a lot and I've worked with a lot of companies that let's target the small business. And it's like one of the hardest things to do, right? Because it's like consumers, you can figure that out some tar Facebook targeting, but like nobody says I'm a small business owner. Like that's harder to find. How did you guys go about approaching that? And was that like early on, was that always a strategy? Let's go after small businesses. Yeah, it, it really was from the very start. I mean, again, like I credit um, Paul, the founder of the company, like the insight that he had was that small business people had the best opportunity, the most like cost efficient and time efficient opportunity to both do their CRM better and to drive leads and more business awareness if they ramped up their social media marketing activities. Mm -hmm. And so this was about six, seven years ago. And it was a fairly point at which like, you know, constant contact and MailChimp and others had come in with email marketing solutions that were, you know, 10, 15, $20 a month, all WYSIWYG, easy to interact with and utilize, available on different platforms. And what he saw was, boy, um, if we combine the capabilities of a graphic designer and a video editor and a social media marketing expert all into one simple little easy to use app, we can essentially like on ramp and onboard, you know, millions of small business people who've been a little bit reticent, who've had some fear and concern and uncertainty about how exactly am I supposed to just jump in and get involved and start making social media work for me and my business. Yeah. And so, you know, it was that like, focus on one particular target customer audience who had a need and that need was still kind of bubbling under the surface. It wasn't expressed. It wasn't obvious or clear in the marketplace, but as soon as we put the solution out there and saw how quickly the demand exploded for it, um, a couple of things happened. One was that a few of the other consumer facing apps that were doing photo editing and video editing or kind of easy, quick and easy video creation capabilities really saw like our growth and a few others in our market space and kind of shifted and pivoted over to really adjust their go-to-market and their messaging and their value prop to focus on small and medium businesses. Um, and the other thing for us was just that, again, um, we felt like you had this like 10-year maturation cycle of website hosting and then hot on the heels of that, a 10-year maturation cycle of e-commerce marketing solutions. And that it was just the dawn of social media marketing and social ads tools that had just begun to emerge. And so from the very start, you know, six and a half years ago, um, and I got involved pretty early in the company. I wasn't a co-founder, but I was um, a prior colleague of the founder Paul's and a couple of folks on the board. And so really quickly and early on, I just recognized this as an exciting opportunity and it was very early stage and young. And so I jumped in from a, you know, much larger company and team and kind of marketing role um, because I saw that like that, clarity of focus on the target customer audience on a pain point in need 
and a kind of relatively early as a relatively later mature stage in the market all lined up to mean we had some runway, we could, we could fail fast, we could try and experiment and test, but that if we got to product market fit relatively quickly, you know, we'd probably have a few good years ahead of us. And um, that's how it's, how it's played out. How did you guys go about targeting small businesses in the early? Yeah. I mean, honestly, this has probably been kind of a special sauce um, item for us. And um, I'll tell you a little bit of it, but I'm not going to kind of be able to reveal (laughs) the whole uh, Monty because I'll hit hit stop recording. All right, Clay. I mean, look, I'm I'm a pretty transparent person, but um, I will tell you that it has been um, by dint of years of a lot of like sweat and elbow grease and experimentation and learning that we've figured out how to kind of crack the code of doing um, both highly cost efficient and highly scaled um, small business and even nonprofit targeting. And so from day one, this has been an entirely self-serve customer acquisition model. No sales team, no customer success team. We don't do drip campaigns and lead gen. You know, um, it's not an enterprise model. What we decided to build from the very first start um, was essentially a D2C um, direct response style um, advertising and word of mouth and content marketing and SEO engine. And have a free trial and a really rapid, frictionless, painless experience for anybody to come in and try the software and kick the tires and see if they liked it. And if they did, you know, keep using us. So essentially you can think of it as like a Spotify or a yoga app model married to a small business utility service offering. And to this day, like we're still learning, but the three main tools we use for targeting. So very quickly, um, a couple of the members of the marketing and UA user acquisition team figured out how to like very rapidly call through the long and illustrious list of interest-based targeting options that Facebook provides through the Facebook ad manager. And we were able to kind of like rapidly, rapidly experiment at low spend and essentially try different optimization techniques with different kinds of creative and run manually, run lots and lots of um, iterations until we found the interest that were essentially interests that revealed that that individual who you know, was a follower of that page or was aligned to that interest according to Facebook's ad manager was likely to be an independent entrepreneur or somebody with a side hustle. Um, so to give you one practical example, um, if you, and this was like five, six years ago, so some of this information is kind of aged, but if you were to go and try to target um, Ripple ads in the early days against people Uh, with an interest in yoga, it was not going to work, right? There were just way too many kind of average everyday consumers who were going to yoga classes or, you know, had a yoga mat at their home or whatever, but there were other kinds of interests. And so to give you an example, um, there are several um, software companies who provide operations and financial management and um, booking software for health and beauty and wellness and yoga studios. Well, when you get to a certain size of page followership, Facebook would then include that company name as a targetable interest. And that didn't necessarily mean you had to be a follower of that page. It just meant that you and people like you. So what we found was that we could target small business owners who might run a yoga studio or be a private yoga instructor or a Pilates instructor by targeting the businesses and organizations and trade association groups and other kinds of terms that were available in the interest targeting list but not likely to be aligned or have, um, you know, followership or page alignment or groups alignment by just average everyday, you know, consumers. Got it. So it was that process of like trial and error experimentation 
and you know, running through hundreds and hundreds of interest targeting campaigns and finding the few 10 that were efficient and effective and could provide scale. And so that was number one, was just like really, really working through the combination of creative and captioning and interest targeting and kind of using the arbitrage opportunity on the Facebook ad management platform. The second thing we did was we um, stood up a advisory council and um, the kind of most passionate first 30, 40, 50 of our um, small business customers, we gave them lifetime access to the software and in exchange for that, we asked them exactly what the pieces of the features and functionality were that they were finding the most valuable and using the most. And then we really honed in our messaging and our like go to market focus and our app store copy and all of that like ASO and SEO um, messaging focus on those particular features. Mm. So rather than trying to, you know, go through the way that a lot of enterprise software companies will like the provisioning of just a laundry list of different feature names and functionality and just hoping that you kind of like get some hits against um, keyword searches and uh, people looking in the app stores or, you know, asking um, Bing and Google and the engines like to give them some advice. We just honed in on like two or three things that we learned from those early stage customers were really valuable. Mm. And so we kind of got a, a bit of an outsized um, love and um, organic search result presence in the app stores as a result. Um, and so we really rigorously optimized our title and our description and our meta tags and everything else against those um, pieces of functionality and, and the, the language around those. Um, so that was number two. The number three was we had to figure out keyword. And um, so it's been um, kind of a long um, exercise to basically figure out exactly the way with Google and with Apple um, paid search you can essentially put your app in front of those eligible small business audience folks without paying for all the impressions and clicks that um, are just looky-loos who are not, you know, in a like small business operating need. Um, and without kind of revealing everything on that front, I'll just tell you that um, broad match does not work particularly well if you're really focused on CAC and efficiency, yeah. um, but you can use broad match to basically have a short period of inefficiency and then you go back and you call through the specific um, multi-word phrases yeah. that are generating high volume, but low um, install registration and purchase rate. And then you negative out those. And then you slowly kind of like whisk out and whisk out and whisk out and whatever the cream that's left, you then turn off your broad match and turn on exact match on those terms. And then you leave all your negative in. And so from that standpoint, like I would just Was say- Was this on Google, Clay? On Google and um, you can do use the same techniques on um, Apple with their paid search. Wow. Um, and so, you know, we've tried a bunch of stuff. Like we've tried um, Liftoff. We've tried a variety of other CPA, mobile ad networks. We've tried, um, you know, incentivized referral programs, a bunch of stuff. And honestly, we're a lot of like a whole bunch of other D2C and um, kind of scale phase, like growth phase mobile app companies in the sense that it's kind of the basics. We focus a lot on um, keyword and SEO research and on our own content development and writing and blog publishing and our website and optimizing our app store pages. We run a lot of Facebook ads and we run a lot of keyword search ads and, and, and some of the variants that Google offers like UAC and um, dynamic um, ads and their um, GDN products. So it's, it's sort of the basics of consumer focused um, customer acquisition to drive 
app store visits and installs and registrations and, and then website visits and registrations through our web app. But we've just learned through a combination of content creative and targeting over the years, how to um, really make sure that we're hitting our target audience and trying to minimize the degree to which we're just throwing like useless brand impressions in front of folks that aren't going to find value in our in our software. And were you running those keyword campaigns? I'm assuming that you're, you might be running them now because five years ago, like I'm like, well, I and I was thinking as you're talking about this, I was like, I don't think search ads was out five years ago, but I, were you running ad, was it, were they out five years ago? Yeah. Well, so are you talking about Apple for yeah, the I'm talking about Apple. About, yeah. yeah. So they released that product about three years ago, I think. Yeah, okay. Um, but, um, what we were doing at the time was you couldn't buy those slots for Apple. Right. Um, but we were using, um, Google UAC and at the time, you know, you could basically use UAC for Android customer acquisition, but also basically tailor, um, your Google keyword campaigns for iOS mobile devices. Uh, and while it wasn't a direct, you know, click straight in install the way that the Apple search ads work now it was sort of one away, but we very early on basically wired up our own attribution so that, you know, we were basically seeing our own mobile, our own paid keyword search, and then all of our own Facebook ads and manually running that attribution flow straight through to purchase. And then as we got, you know, more sophisticated um, attribution tools and ultimately like it kind of became a situation where with lookalike and Facebook's SDKs and pixel, like you can pretty much get it all, you know, directly through the Facebook ad manager console. Right. Um, we were, we were exceedingly focused on using like just overnight cron jobs with piles of queries and marrying all of our own data together. And on a weekly basis for most metrics and in some cases daily, then we were just like rigorously, rigorously like culling and, and optimizing against all of these channels. And so, wow. You know, essentially like what we decided was we can't run a kind of drip long sales cycle human powered um marketing and customer acquisition model for this because we need a low price high volume solution and we also decided early on we were okay with a really simplistic business model one subscription price point you can choose month monthly or annual come or go as you please. We don't put any barriers up to cancellation. And by consequence, you know, we've kind of been perceived over the years as like a tool that's on the side of the small business person. Mm -hmm. We don't make you call us to cancel. We don't obfuscate how that occurs. And our resubscription rate is really high as a result. So we do see a fair number of folks who may use us through a seasonal period or use us in their like Q4, or, you know, small business Saturday, Black Friday kind of holiday selling and then step away from Ripple for a while, but then come back and resubscribe later. And so our view is, you know, we have to be like exceedingly good at our targeting and our ad creative and our customer kind of engagement and acquisition activities, yeah. because we're not going to put any barriers or blockers up to folks, you know, trying us for free for a while, canceling if they wish, using a competitor, using us together with some other killer photo editing tool and, you know, unlocking the power of both of those things working for their social media marketing. Um, so, you know, from that standpoint, we just said, well, these ad platforms are sort of purpose built to unlock all these large scale enterprise brand consumer awareness ads, but there's 35 million small businesses in the U S there's 350 million worldwide and counting 
Like they're out there. We just have to basically kind of work backwards from the behaviors and the searches and the clicks and the content consumption of those small business people and then do everything in our power to kind of like, you know, slide into their feeds, I guess you'd say. I really like it. It's brilliant. I mean, you did a lot. Thank you, Clay, for doing that. Hey, a couple of things I want to talk from the product side of things. It looks like Ripple, you know, you give me the pre free preview, but if I wanted to create something out of it, like social media content, I'll have to sign up. Yeah, so we run a um, uh, seven day free trial for everybody. And mm -hmm. that's the idea. It's kind of like, um, we want you to come into the amusement park. We want you to be able to walk all around, see all the rides, you know, but the moment you step on the uh, roller coaster or, you know, jump in the log flume, that's where you got to become a paying subscriber for us. So we'll let you, um, you know, leave the, the X out of the free trial offer. We'll let you play with it on uh, completely on the free with no credit card all you want. Um, but the point at which you want to complete that video and save it off as a 1080p HD ready to upload to YouTube or to share out to your Instagram channel or whatever, that's where we ask you to jump in and try the, the weekly free trial with us. And so, you know, we have a pretty solid conversion rate. There are people that decide to cancel after the trial. Maybe they were just wanting to kick the tires, give it a go. Um, we even have some extremely frugal folks who, you know, will jump into the free trial and use it, uh, you know, morning, noon, and night, and then um, step away from it. Um, but but a pretty solid and a pretty consistent um, conversion rate into the recurring paying subscription. And, you know, at 15 bucks a month or only 10 a month, if you sign up for a year with us, it's at a price point where like, you know, for the cost of a couple of lattes, you're getting an unlimited amount of videos and professionally designed social media posts that you can create yourself and share all month long to all your social channels. So the value prop is such that like, you know, it's kind of, too good a deal for most to pass up once they once they get their hands on it and start using we it. We understand the value pop. Are you have you guys tested any other model, like giving away a couple of free templates? I was just curious. Yeah, we've tried a few things. So the couple of things we won't do, we haven't ever done and, and won't do in the future. Um, the first is sell your data or advertise to you or have a like ad supported, you know, freemium type experience in there. Our view is just that um if small business people are going to like honor us with their hard-earned money and give us their time to use our software, like we're not going to waste their time by putting, you know, unwanted or distracting um, advertising or sponsor content in front of them. We just want to have the UI and the value prop and the software capabilities front and center. Um, we also will never syndicate or sell their information. Um, there's a ton of like apps that are out there just basically bumping along for free, but with the sole purpose of collecting a bunch of behavioral and MPI information and deep within the terms and conditions, if you really read it, they're just doing it so that they can roll that up and then sell that off to um, others. And, uh, you know, we won't do that. We'll never do that. And we say it explicitly in our terms. Um, but in terms of experimentation on the business model, we've tried a few different price points. Um, you know, we've only raised the price once in six plus years. Uh, and, we're sort of proud of that. We've continued to improve the value prop. We've continued to add more features and more functionality. And for us, like we've always wanted to err on the side of giving unlimited usage. So we don't cap the number of videos or posts you can make. We don't cap the number of social accounts you can connect and use it on. We um, want you to use it on one business. Um, and we have kind of a single user model and um, have never really rolled out a model where it's multiple seats. 
It's just because what we find is that um, more than 70% of our customers are the owner operator of the small business. And for them, like they are the marketing department, they are the operations manager, you know, they're the CEO, the CFO, the CMO, it's all wrapped (laughs) into one. Um, So for us, we've kept it really simple. One subscription price point, one user, one business, but then past that point, you know, you're paying us monthly or yearly for the subscription. You can use it as much as you want to your heart's content. We did have um, a essentially a pure freemium model operating in the market for several years where if you cancel out the subscription, you'd still have access to kind of a um, ring fenced and a more limited set of features and functionality. Notably, we would have the pro premium templates catalog and then our pro premium music tracks and fonts and stuff like that turned off. Mm. Um, We actually sunset that freemium model about a year and a half ago because what we were finding was it actually wasn't all that valuable or helpful to keep that in place. And after people would leave the paid premium subscription, they just weren't using the free service very much, if at all. And so for us, it was actually more effective to preserve your posts, preserve your account. We keep it all there for you. So if you cancel, you still are only going to get, you know, the ability to kind of use the full functionality of Ripple in the future if you resubscribe with us. But with that limited functionality we used to provide on the free platform, it wasn't really giving you or our software and all of those templates and all that like rich power of the creative platform, Mm. either side of that, the best chance to succeed and shine. And so um, the trade-off we made when we went from a pure SaaS subscription from a a previous freemium model was um, we actually reduced the sort of presence of the Ripple branding. And so one of the things that we'd had previously was we'd had that little Ripple logo in the right-hand corner. And if you were a pure free user, you couldn't remove that. That would ride along with every post you made. Oh, right, right, right. That makes sense. When we went to a pure subscription model. We said, look, you can have your logo there. You can have that blank and turned off. If you want to give a little love to Ripple and give a name check and a brand logo and, and show the world who's helping you make these beautiful videos and social posts, you can use the Ripple logo there. But we were not going to make that um, fixed and um, and take away your ability to remove that. And so we made a few of those changes. We made that business model change and it's honestly been a real win. Um, The two things we've seen are that number one, we're keeping our paying subscription customers for longer and their satisfaction level and their usage rates are higher. Since we went to that pure um, SaaS model and sunset the the free service previously. Um, The other thing that we've seen is that we're getting more word of mouth referral um, so ironically, like what we're finding is that the perception of it is it's a paid subscription service. It's not a hundred dollars. It's not a thousand dollars a month. It's 15 bucks a month, but you have to pay for it if you want to unlock and use all the functionality and the features. And so for our satisfied customers, they're telling more people, emailing, recommending, suggesting that others use it. Whereas when we had the free service in place, what would happen is they would recommend or they'd suggest it to somebody. Somebody would come in and have that limited or abbreviated free experience And they wouldn't basically see all that like richness of the catalog, all that richness of the 500,000 stock photography and video files we have available, all the integrations. Now you come in, you can see all of that, you can play with and utilize, and then you make a choice at that point, whether you want to start paying us and become a subscriber. And we can still give you a free week um, if you're a a net new registrant, a new um, arrival to the business. So that's really been, you know, the, the kind of main business model and approach we've locked in on. Um, 
Did you have conversations around when you're making that switch and sunsetting it? Did you have any conversations around? I've seen other apps do this where they're like, hey, you can get it for seven days free and then you have to sign up, right? Yeah. I mean, we um, we made two choices, right? So one was we decided that um, we were going to continue with the seven day free trial for all new registrants. We weren't going to require you to like start paying us and, you know, require you to essentially purchase the thing sight unseen. Um, without the ability to have a trial period, have an easy cancellation and exit if you found that it didn't meet your expectations or you just were trying two or three different ones or whatever. So that was a critical like choice was to say, we're not going to allow those people who cancel to get ongoing or continued access to a purely free service, but everybody knew on the way in, we're going to give them like access to the full premium experience and give them at least a week in some cases with some special offers and some partner offers we have out there and even longer trial experience. Yeah. And then they're like fully informed to decide whether it's for them and it's valuable and they want to keep it or if they want to step away, use somebody else's solution. Um, the second thing that we did was we said, you know, we are going to give a really long transition period. And so it wasn't like we announced that we were going to sunset the free experience and then we turned it off a week later, a month later. We gave almost four months for people to kind of wind down and make a choice and make a decision. We gave a lot of heads ups and a lot of alerts. And we actually instituted the um, seven day free trial and the pure subscription service much sooner, but we grandfathered in that whole group of folks. And that's kind of aligned to this idea we have about like rewarding people that were early adopters and that were customers that have tried us early and been with us all the way along. And so another example of that is we've never raised the price for the prior subscribers who joined us when we had a lower price point. And we've still got, you know, two and a half years later since changing the price, we've still got a healthy bunch of recurring subscribers and customers who are using Ripple that we're still billing at that previous price point. We will never, we will never jack them up and raise their price to um, our current price point. And if we were to raise the price again in the future, we wouldn't push them up. We figure like, as long as you remain a subscriber in good standing, we're going to go ahead and honor that previous price point that you came into the service on. And you just continue to enjoy the benefit of all the new, you know, features and functionality. So I'll tell you the one thing in terms of business model that um, we have started to really dig into and try some A-B tests and experiments with. Um, it is essentially having multiple price tiers. And so if you look at both consumer apps as well as increasingly small business um, apps and utilities, many of them that started with a single price point, then over time layered in like a premium and a higher price point with a richer array of features for larger customers as well as in some cases, a lower price point that might have a more limited set of functionality or might have certain caps around their um, usefulness. But that notion of going to two or in most cases, three price tiers is one that you see it's pretty widespread now. And it's um, it creates a little bit of decision um, choice uh, challenge on the upfront uh, selection by a new customer. But having those options of higher and lower price points than like your kind of core or mid-tier price for more experienced or mature customers, and especially for customers that have, you know, numerous businesses who are large revenue, they're large scale, they're growing and they're growing with us. We want, you know, to kind of be able to, to capture and deliver a little bit more value to that group. And so we are starting to experiment with that idea of um, kind of separating out into a few different price tiers. And while we'll continue to always focus on the core um price 
having those alternative options, we think is just going to allow us to kind of grow into both on the lower end and on the higher end, a little bit of a wider target addressable market of small business customers for the future. A couple of things I want to hit on before we, we say bye. The first one is I love the onboarding, the welcome flow where you're asking me like, Hey, you know, what type of business are you? And you guys have it as one of your screenshots and listening into you, Clay, you're like, we did a lot of screenshots. We poured everything, all the learns we did, we poured it back into our screenshots, everything, our messaging. And as a small business, you know, you're always wondering like, but do they have something for me? Right. And I think by having this explore by business type, having in the welcome flow, yes, we, if you're a realtor, if you're a salon, if you're food and beverage, if you're health and fitness, what, or if you're, you know, anything education, we got something for you and you kind of tailor that experience. And then you show me the templates for that experience as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's how we've kind of cracked the nut on this idea of being really um, sort of broad and useful to all the different, like beautiful diversity and array of small businesses that we have in this country and all around the world. But we just use a couple of simple tools to kind of cohort or segment um, our incoming new customers. And that allows us to do things like custom template collections and merchandising, customized weekly email newsletters, push notifications, featured templates. So what you get is you get a common software experience that's built with like a UI and a UX that's kind of at the most simple, easy, empowering way that we possibly can with as much confusion and difficulty stripped out, but a really like tailored experience given what your business type is and the kind of marketing you're doing and how you approach social media. So you know, in any given week, we release about 150 to 200 new templates, but those are spread across those 12 different business types. And that's a mix of stuff that's like seasonal and time-based that might only be in the app for a particular time and then get deprecated. And then what we call evergreen, which is, you know, new um, video templates and new new post types that are, you know, broadly applicable. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's another thing I guess I would just say is that we've kind of learned that your business model needs to be one that's simple and easy to understand regardless of what type of customer you are, but you want to see some evidence in that app experience that you're being acknowledged and like recognized for what's unique and special about your need or your marketing campaigns and programs or your business type. And so, you know, as a small startup, like we have to strike a balance about how much of that specialization, personalization we can create and provide and how much of sort of a broad or general based value prop we deliver through the software. But we really, um, over the years, have kind of learned that the more you do in a way to like provide that personalized experience, um, the more likely you are to, to keep and delight and retain that customer for the long run. Okay, last thing I want to hit on is, and I'm, I've got a client and I'm actually going through this with my apps is like, you know, early on, especially when you turn on that subscription, what are the KPIs that we should be focused on? We want to drive growth. Is it like a low CAC? Is it what's that conversion rate to subscription? What should we be focused on in the early days before we hit that 5 million mark like you guys have? And then as you guys have progressed and grown all this, what do, what do you focus on? So two-part question, but first, like in the yeah. early days, focus on. Well, I, I think that um, the two things you have to instrument really quickly are your acquisition retention funnel mm-hmm. and then pick like two to three usage metrics that are going to be your like most highly correlated or aligned KPIs to your value prop. And so for us, you know, we instrumented the full customer acquisition funnel top to bottom, including um, month over month retention, because we have a monthly subscription as well as an annual one. 
And then over the years, we just like continued to just make that um, stack of KPIs like bulletproof in its trustworthiness. And that doesn't mean there weren't weeks and months that things didn't look good. But what you want is you want clarity and objectiveness and truthfulness in looking at your full funnel metrics because it's natural. Like you're going to have weak spots and strong spots. And if you know, hey, we're performing, you know, worse or better than kind of industry averages or our own historical averages at which point in the funnel, well, then you can, you know, really like hone in and and focus and try to improve on that. And to give you an example of that, you know, in the early days, we really focused on um, CPI and then on what we call CPT cost for the trial, the trial subscription signup. And over time, we've migrated to where we don't really care quite as much about the volume of downloads or the cost for any given install. We focus on the true fully loaded CAC. So we have a very down funnel kind of like efficiency and effectiveness metric that we look at weekly and week out. And we actually break that down by all of our acquisition channels and by all of our target customer vertical types. Mm. And then we now have a dynamic LTV calculation model too. And so we're basically now running all of our customer acquisition um, campaigns, our budget mix allocation, according to LTV to CAC ratio. And some businesses do that as like a ROAS, if they've got a pretty short payback period, we've obviously got a one price subscription. We run a three-year um, discounted cash flow net LTV model. And then we you know, run that back and we have that estimated LTV that we're running with every monthly cohort we acquire. And we've got five years of data on that. And so um, that's the way we approached it is we just built that like acquisition retention funnel, made sure the data was bulletproof and trustworthy, and then began like diligently, not only managing it week in and week out for LTV to CAC efficiency, but also logging that data. And, you know, one of like the things that we're most proud of is that we've got five plus years of all of our monthly operating KPIs, um, user acquisition and um, mature usage KPIs. And so that gives us this incredible like treasure trove of information that if we don't have something in the marketplace to kind of benchmark and compare ourselves against to see whether we're doing relatively well or relatively poorly and how much, at a minimum, we can go back and look at our whole prior history and see, you know, how it rates. So, so that's number one. And then on the second piece I said around operating KPIs, my recommendation is that, you know, in the same way that I sort of suggested that you work backwards from like your business strategy and kind of your key customer target audience and the insight that's, that's sort of driving your, your value proposition and your app functionality and UI, um, you should do the same thing with, Kind of instrumenting your your OKRs or your KPIs for your business in the early days, and so for us, we picked um, three things. So we call it trial or activation. So that's the degree to which, when somebody is in their seven-day free trial period, they use the full functionality and complete and either save or share their first piece of content with Ripple. So that gives us like a really quick twitch insight into whether the core of the value proposition of what Ripple is built and offered in the marketplace for is getting kind of fully realized and utilized by those new customers in their first seven days of interacting with our, our software while they're still in the free trial um, period. The second thing that we really focus on is the percentage of our subscriber base that's active in a given month. And so we watch and we track it weekly and then we roll it up and report on it within the company monthly 
And we're looking for, you know, are we tracking for growth on this? And are we at minimum hitting our sort of historical benchmark? And so if we know that we see that with new customers coming in and canceling customers leaving and a big base of like that reservoir of, of resubscribers carrying through, that we're seeing degradation in the average amount of the total paying subscriber base that's active and utilizing Ripple for its core functionality in a given month, then we like drill and hone in on, okay, why have we got a problem or friction somewhere in the core workflow? Do we have less qualified users coming in in the new cohort? Are we losing the more um, sort of valuable and highly qualified users on the way out? Why? Um, our third KPI that we've really decided to focus on is the um, average amount of usage per active sub. And so, you know, we may not have 100% utilization of our subscriber base in a given month in the same way that you don't have 100% readership of your New Yorker magazine subscribers in a given month. But of that cohort that is using your software in that given month, how much are they? And so what we're looking for there is we're looking for, are we engendering over time more usage? And this is important to us because we want to be responsible for a larger and larger share of the total amount of social media and video content creation for that user, right? We have a fairly specialized purpose. There's other things that people do on their social media channels, but we want Ripple to be responsible for and delivering against a larger and larger proportion of that for each one of our customers over time. And so that's how we made the choices about the three operating KPIs that we you know, measure and track and focus on. But for anybody else, any other app developer, I think what you should do is say, okay, it's our business strategy. What's our key customer insight? What's the need of the problem that we're really trying to solve? It's that kind of the white hot core of our value proposition. And then you instrument that stuff first. And ideally what you're looking at then is, you know, a weekly dashboard that's got five or six funnel KPIs and maybe at most three operating and usage KPIs. And that for any relatively new developer had ought to be manageable to wire that up, pull that data, look at it, and then store it and sort of assiduously, you know, carefully review it over time if you're improving or, or, or getting worse on them. And, and if you do that, I mean, you're in pretty good stead for at least the first year or two of a, of a new business. I love it, Clay. That was awesome. The, well, actually, I don't want, I got to run to another call too, but I wanted to make sure that we hit everything that you wanted to mention too. Yeah. I mean, I just wanted to say thank you. I think that, um, what you're doing is so valuable because for myself, I mean, there are times where I just feel like, you know, I've sometimes been kind of like wandering the desert and wondering like, is the way we're tracking LTV best practice? Or, you know, am I supposed to be taking this approach or that approach with Apple search ads? Or, you know, how important is the long description really in these app store, you know, content? And like the questions go on and on and on. And so I just am so appreciative because I think, you know, the way that you're cultivating these conversations, inviting people to kind of like share what their point of view is and what they've learned. Like none of us are right, but we've all learned with hard knocks, you know, the yeah. school of hard knocks and with our time and elbow grease over the last five, 10 years. And so the work you're doing to just like curate and cultivate these conversations is, um, is really valuable. And I, I appreciate you making space for me to, to talk about it a little bit today and spend the time with you. It was amazing. I, I loved it. And I'm glad you broke it down so much, so perfectly like usage. Cause I think too many times we think about conversion. Okay. How many trials, because that's where the money's at, right? Like trial activation, how many people are actually paying and stay 
staying on within the trial, but not enough on the usage side. Oh, one last question. One thing I wanted to mention was like, I mean, it's like back in the days of the souk and the bazaar and the market, uh, it's a heck of a lot easier to sell, you know, oranges and apples to the same customers week in and week out than to try to shout from the rooftops to bring new ones in to your stall. So was it all internally built tools that were allowed you to track all this stuff? Originally, yes. Um, wow, and then over crazy. time, you know, where we found best practice, third-party solutions that we could lease on a SaaS basis for ourselves, um, we did so. We brought those in, but we're still running, um, you know, daily, weekly, and monthly, um, you know, batch queries against a whole bunch of our own data to complement that, like, third-party syndicated data that we get for a wide variety of things. And, you know, to me, like, being able to really break down, really quantitatively assess what's working, what's not, get to the bottom of things through numbers and um, analysis, like there's just no substitute for that because the better you are at that, whether you have to custom build it or it's a hybrid of stuff you build yourself and stuff that you license and use from th third-party tool sellers out there, um, the more efficient and the more trustworthy you have access to that information on your apps, it honestly just gives you more time than to spend with your customers. And that's where the qualitative side, you gain empathy, you gain understanding, like you get a real tangible sense of what makes your customers tick and what they like you for and what they hate you for and what they love your competitors for. And the maximum possible amount of time you can spend on that is how you're going to improve your value prop and your product experience. And so you want to spend the minimum amount of time on the quantitative and the analytics. And the way to do that is to make sure it's dead accurate every time. I like it. The app is called Ripple. It will allow you to create these amazing social media posts. And the more important thing that I want to make sure we mention too is allow you to schedule them too and see some of the analytics behind that as well. So that's one of the reasons why you should just check out the premium and check out Ripple as well. Clay, if the audience wants to follow up with you personally, do you want to send them anywhere else besides Ripple? Well, I'm pretty easy to find. Um, my name is Clay McDaniel. I've got a pretty unique name and um, whether it be on LinkedIn or you know, DM through Instagram or just shooting me a note. Um, yeah, I'd love hearing from people and uh, just being able to continue the conversation and exchange insights and learnings. And awesome. we're all in this together. And so helping each other kind of succeed and grow is, uh, is what this is all about. Nobody has learned that more than me and seeing our small business customers have to struggle and ultimately survive and thrive over the last year with the pandemic. So uh, find me however you'd like. It should be relatively easy if you're pretty good at a Google search. And uh, I'd love to hear from folks uh you know out there in the in the app marketplace clay's name is linked up to his linkedin so you click on his name you'll go right to his linkedin profile again it is ripple clay thank you so much for coming on and doing this yeah steve thank you i've loved the time and um rich conversation i look forward to hearing more of uh, your podcast releases in the future so be well thanks thank you all for listening i'll see you on the next chat Want to increase your downloads and revenue? Check out our new ASO Master Service where we help you with ASO, optimizing your revenue, and we'll even manage your Apple search ads and Google ads. Learn more at asomasters.com. Thanks for listening to the App Masters podcast. For show notes and amazing app marketing content, check out appmasters.co.